Hi, this is Julie. This is Liz. This is Sheila. This is Monica. This is Leanne. We are the Satellite Sisters. You are listening to Satellite Sisters to go. You are listening to Satellite Sisters. It's Tuesday, September 8th. I'm Leanne Dolan in Pasadena, California. I'm here with my sister, Julie Dolan, who is in Dallas, Texas. Hey, Jewel, how are you? Hi, Leanne. I'm fine. I had a very nice Labor Day weekend. You know what I did, Leanne? I made Labor Day weekend um, possible for other people, which means that I stayed home and I picked up their newspapers and the mail and watered their grass. Wasn't that nice of me? Very nice of you. Being okay. a good neighbor, being okay. a good neighbor, a good family member, excellent work. Yeah, we just, I did a little laboring on Labor Day and then we enjoyed a lot of tennis. And we're going to talk about, uh, of course, the big sisters matchup today, Serena versus William versus, so let me. Serena versus Venus. All right. Versus Venus. It's hard to say, Lynn. I'm sorry. I will explain. Okay. I get in trouble saying that, (laughs) Lynn. Okay. First of all, I just have to explain. I just got off the line with Erica Zhang, and my head is just crazy. So I'm going to tell you all about that. I shouldn't even be allowed to do this show now. I have to make sense of a half an hour conversation with Erica Jong, which we're going to talk about. But we do have Serena versus Venus. We got that. Uh, We have some reporting on creativity and what it means in our lives. Julie has some news about friends in the workplace. And then uh, we're going to talk about the national parks. Really interesting survey on why the number one reason people go to the national parks. I, I'm, I, don't, I, I don't know what it would be. Okay. You can try to guess later. But I, I got to tell you, Julie, I just got off the phone with writer, feminist icon, Erica Zhang. She has well, a new book out today. Today. Today is her pub day called Fear of Dying. Okay. It's a follow-up, part of a trilogy, her landmark 1973 novel about women and sexuality, fear of flying. So Which this- I only read the dirty parts <laughs> of that book. I, I didn't read the whole book. I, I'm not alone with that, Leanne. I think there are many people of my generation that did the same thing, but it was a landmark book. <laughs> it was, you know, it sold 27 million copies. I mean, that's a lot of copies. It is still selling copies and is, and, uh, so I had not read fear of flying because I was eight when it came out. Uh, and, <laughs> and it's a good thing. Liam. So, um, so <laughs> over the last couple of weeks, I read the new fear of dying. Then I like signed up for fear of flying. I read that. I read a whole bunch of her, you know, editorials. She's done Kindle sig- singles. Uh, she's a poet of some renown. And so Julie, I was nervous about this interview because she's a big time writer. She's a, a you know a very strongly opinionated writer. Uh, she's controversial at times, but she just has a lot to say. So I felt like I really needed to buckle down and prepare. So I spent all Labor Day weekend like laboring over Erica Zhang, getting my questions right. She appeared at a at a book event in Decatur this weekend, and there was like a spat between her and other feminists. I was like, oh God. Ooh. I don't want to get into that. Like, I just have been honing in on sort of her writing process. I thought, well, mm-hmm. this is part of the Satellite Sisters Word Write interview. So I'm just going to talk to her about her writing. Um, because actually, one of the novel, one of the characters in the novel, Fear of Dying, uh, is a writer and talks about what that means. It's clearly kind of Erica Zhang's voice. So, Julie, I was ready. I mean, okay, Lynn, I had, I, you know me, sometimes when I do interviews, I don't really type out the questions. I'll, I, I, I'm pretty prepared. Man. I am. Yeah, no, don't I'm, sell yourself short. You, I'm you really, super prepared. You really, 
Yes. I, I have done all the work, but sometimes my questions are just notes. They're not actual long form questions. Like okay. long ago, I, I stopped doing that mainly because we just had so many interviews to do for a while on Satellite Sisters. I didn't have time. But for Erica Zhang, I typed out all the questions. They're properly punctuated. They're this, Ooh. they're that. You know, and Jill, we get on the line. Uh, it, it just go. <laughs> it goes off the rail on the very first question. I mean. What happened? She just, she has a lot to say. And I thought she would want to talk about the new book, but she just wanted to talk about everything. So I, you know, I made the statement that, oh, we grew up in the town next door in, in Fairfield, Connecticut, and she lived in Weston when we were little. Oh, that sparked a lot. The next thing you know, like I, I was not going to purposely not ask the first question about feminism because I thought, well, let's talk about her writing process. I want to treat her, you know, as a writer first because she mm -hmm. makes that point in, in the book quite a bit. And like, no, feminism is the first question. And then I'm hearing about her whole family history. And then there's a whole section on midwives in 18th century France. How did you get there, Leanne? I Was don't it know, Julie. Or something? Did you I, discuss Poldark with Erica Young? I should have. I should have no. gone there. I mean, I could not get a handle on this, Julie. It was, it was just. Now, Leanne, let's review. You've you've interviewed uh, the former president of the United States. You've been in on interviews with the former secretary of the state with. Like like a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, people, astrophysicists, and you could not rope in Erica. Jones. I could not rope her in. I couldn't. Every time I tried to bring it back to the book, the next thing I know, we were we were talking about Pope Francis. I mean, I just. I couldn't. Oh, what what she have to say about Pope Francis? She is, she's loving him. She Francisco is what she likes to call him, and she she loves him. We we had a whole conversation about honeybees there was a whole thing i oh about you know women holding on to their power uh she maintains that the whole poetry community turned against her when fear of flying was such a big hit i i tell you julie i am going to edit it together and see if any of it holds up i and she sounds great i'm gonna sound like a deer in the headlights if then <laughs> if that's a if so it's it was possible. a suite of ideas. Would you say that? Is that a fair way to uh, describe the interview? A flight of ideas. It is. All of them interesting. None of them cohesive, and uh, and none of them naturally leading to a follow-up question. I mean, I never got to ask her. There's a whole this book actually. The thing is. This book is wonderful. Fear of Dying. It's about a woman who is facing uh, her aging parents. Her husband, her older husband has a serious health issue. Her daughter's about to give birth. Her dog dies. She's just turned 50. A lot of the experiences I could really relate to. So it's kind of a really thoughtful look at aging and what really matters as you age. And now it's, it's contemporary and it's modern. It's an Erica Jong book. So, you know, there is sex in it and, you know, the main well, character. Yeah, I needed to ask about that. Yeah. I didn't be too superficial, but uh, are there dirty parts in this book? Not too, too no, because it's really sort of about. I mean, you know, the main character is dealing with her anxiety about dying with sex. She's exploring okay. that 
through, ironically, or, or good timing, a website very much like Ashley Madison. So as her husband's like lying, dying in a hospital room. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's a fully realized complex main character. But ultimately, it's kind of a love story. And there's a lot in the book about the importance of friendship and connection. There's just several lovely chapters about her dog. You know, in the book, the main character becomes a grandparent. And that's what brings hope back into her life and sort of, you know, soothes her anxiety about the future and so it's actually a very sort of straightforward, complex, interesting novel. I didn't ask like a single question. <laughs> I just lost control. I lost control, Julie. I just had all kinds of questions about, you know, what it means to be a grandparent. Is she a hip grandparent? And, you know, I wanted to ask about her well-honed sense of humor and what that's meant about her life and what the women in her life have meant friendships. And it just, I don't know. There was, at one point we were talking about, um, you know, astrophysicists and Goldilocks planets. And I don't know how that, I don't know how that happened. Whoa. So... Well, did she enjoy the interview? Did I think, think she really enjoyed it. She said the interview has been such a bright spot in her day. And today is actually the publication day of her novel. And uh, and you said yeah. she – I didn't even – Julie, I didn't sleep. I, I've been up since 2 a.m. stressed out about this interview. Oh, my gosh. Oh, well, yeah. Did you know that it's uh, on the front page of the arts section of the New York Times today is a big, long interview uh, about, Eric, about Erica and her new book? Okay, thank but goodness. did you read it? No. Thank goodness I didn't. It was the only thing I didn't read about her this week because that would have intimidated me more. I, like, now because, well, it's a good thing because none of the things you just mentioned, they're not in the New York Times story, Leanne. Really? So you are covering new ground. Okay. There was no mention of honeybees or, or any of that, Leanne. So. Okay. All right. Okay, good. Good. Well, I, I am going to put this interview together. Uh, in the best way I can. Um, it's Erica Zhang, so there's a few naughty words, Julie. I just want to let you know. Okay. And then she okay. says, "Is it when she does? Is it okay to say blank on the radio?" I'm like, "Well, we're not really on the radio, but oh yeah, whatever." <laughs> Again, good control, Leanne. <laughs> what would what would Katie Couric do? Okay. She would not have done what I did. I'll tell you that there was just. There were just moments where I could not recover. So, um, but I'm just going to put it all in. I'll edit it somehow because we had a discussion before the interview started and then after the interview started. And I, I asked her about turning 50 and she had words of advice, but that was sort of after the interview ended. So I'm going to put it together somehow. <laughs> It's going to be a wild ride, Leanne. I think I'm looking forward to it. Wild, wild ride, Julie. That's exactly that's exactly how to describe it. So that is our last Satellite Sisters Word Right interview for the summer for 2015. I am thanks to everyone who said such nice things about the series. I have I enjoy talking to these writers. I learn a little something every time. I I don't know what I learned from Erica. <laughs> I mean, woo. Okay. All right. Well, I think you, I think you sort of, you had a special bond, Leon. I, I think, uh, again, you covered new ground. Okay? We, re- we really did. We co- and, you know, here's the thing. I-, I can't recommend the book highly enough. It's really a wonderful book. She's really a wonderful writer and it really gets you to think about a lot of things, you know, particularly if you're in the category of, you know, aging or being a caregiver for aging parents or just at a point in your life where you're sort of wondering what's, what's the next step in my life. 
life. It, it's a wonderful book. So I cannot okay, recommend see, I it. Wouldn't, I would never read the book. Uh, even, you know, I read the New York Times article and I said, no, I'm not going to read that. But, uh, but now I want to read the book. <laughs> okay. I just, you're going to have to listen. I can't even. Can't. Okay. I can't. Listen most closely for my stunned silences. That's what I would say. <laughs> Talk about no follow-up questions. Wow. I got none. I got not one follow-up question to that. <laughs> so. Well, okay. That's quite a promo, Leanne. That will be that will be a great interview, and we look forward to listening to it. It's the okay. inside no story. Doubt. No, no doubt. No doubt. Well, Ian, the other big breaking news today, of course, is the Serena versus Venus Williams tennis match. Okay, this is this is the big one at the U.S. Open. The two sisters in the match together. Uh, Serena, obviously, you know, she is trying to win it all, and uh, there's her sister Venus. Uh, then they have to play each other. So. I have nine questions for you, William, about, <laughs> about this Serena versus Venus match. Here's my first question. Okay, number one, is there any way that Venus would beat Serena, even if she wanted to? Is there any possible way that Venus would beat her? Well, you know, as they always say about Serena, she beats herself. So mm-hmm. if she lets her nerves get the most of her, you, do you mean this seriously? Like physically? I do, so I do mean her? it. That's, I, yeah. First, I mean it seriously. She's playing well. And remember, she is a three-time champion, but she does yeah. uh, Venus, right? Hasn't she won the U.S. Open three times? Yes. I know yes. there's some fact checkers out there. So she's won it multiple times. Let me just say that. Uh, uh, but she has had that auto, she's an autoimmune disease, so she yes. doesn't have the yes. physical stamina. So I don't know, Jewel. I, I don't know. I, I just she don't could, think it's, theoretically. Even, I just, I, see, I don't even think she could. Okay. I don't, I don't think in, as a matchup, just, you know, I, I don't think that's going to work. Okay. Second question. If Venus did beat Serena somehow, uh, do you think Serena would ever speak to Venus again? <laughs> Yes, and and it's a multi-part question here would anyone in the williams family or or entourage speak to venus if she if she beat serena and stopped her in her in her quest Uh, probably not yeah you're you're right there would be some long-term resentment i think although they are athletes you know they are they have learned to deal with each other on the court before it's never comfortable to watch them though it's always terrible Liz, you know we love talking about frame bridge, don't we? We do. <laughs> because, because there are just so many fun things to frame, Leon, aren't there? Right. Anything. You can just upload a digital photo from your phone and they can print it and frame it. And that is a gift right there, a gift people would love getting. But Liz, you recently had quite an exciting frame bridge experience. Would I, I you did. like to share? Would you like I to? Know, I talked about how when we were at the Bruce Springsteen concert, I was with our brother Dick, his wife Susan, his two kids, and one of the roadies threw us the set list at the end of the show, which was amazing to get the actual set list for the actual concert in Los Angeles. And we're like, oh, yeah, any day now, that's going to be in a place of honor in their home. Sure enough, Leon, they have already frame bridged it and sent it to us with a picture. So I'll be in Bend next week, so I'll get to see it. But it's just excellent use of the frame bridge resources, the Bruce Springsteen set list. Fantastic. And this is gift giving season. So if you have a graduation coming up, a wedding, a shower, Mother's Day, Father's Day, look around. I'm sure you have something fun you can frame and Framebridge can do it for you. It's easy and it's affordable to frame just about anything. You get fair and transparent upfront pricing based on the size of your item. 
There's a great selection of frames. And as we've said in the past, fast service, free shipping, great for gifts. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Liz, not many things in life give you a happiness guarantee, but FrameBridge does. If you're not 100% happy with your piece, they will make it right. So if this but sounds like- you're going to be happy, okay? Yeah. And that's just the Satellite Sisters promise. You're going to be out. You're going to be happy you did it. See why FrameBridge has been trusted to frame over 2 million pieces. Visit FrameBridge.com or see a local FrameBridge store to get started and custom frame just about anything, like a Bruce Springsteen set list. That's FrameBridge.com. Thanks, FrameBridge. Hey, it's Liz and Leanne here, and we want to thank Pros for supporting this episode of Satellite Sisters. Now, you know, Liz, I've been out and about with my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical. Mm -hmm. The book is getting rave reviews. I'm very happy. But you know what else is getting rave reviews? My hair, Liz. My hair from Pros is getting <laughs> rave reviews. Leanne, I am not surprised. You have been on that Pros hair regimen for quite a while. I mean, you have good hair anyway, but now you have great hair because you've really paid attention to it. Well, Liz, pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And you know what? I love the regimen they have me on. I, do I take the hair vitamins every day? Yes, I do. Do I use my shampoo and conditioner made especially for Lee and Dolan? Yes, I do. Do I sometimes use the leave-in conditioner when it's, my hair's really dry? I do. And I even have a pre-scalp thing that they give me. Okay, pros, you, you're the boss. I'll take it. <laughs> you tell me what my hair needs. That sounds good. And here's the thing. It's personalization, Liz. For yeah. millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely Leans. Okay? And I'm I'm using it. Pros mm -hmm. isn't just better for you. It's also better for the planet, Liz. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. So, Pros, we love you. I love the photos of my hair. Couldn't be happier. <laughs> photos of your hair. There are people in the photos, too. That's the thing about a book tour. Everybody yeah. has their picture taken with Leon and then post it. So yeah. the hair is important. <laughs> Couldn't be happier, Pros. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin. They're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash sisters. So you get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash sisters. And pros is spelled P-R-O-S-E, pros.com slash sisters. Thanks, pros. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, but don't you think, okay, and this is my third question, don't you think sisterhood should trump competition? I mean, are they sisters or are they competitors? Well, they, they're both. They, I mean, what do you mean by that? Like, I, mean, did, like, it, I don't think Venus is going to fold on the court. Well, I think she, well, okay. You so think now, she should? You think she should? You think she should fold? I think it's kind of a, I think it's kind of a joke to even have this match. <laughs> I mean, I really do. I mean, why? I mean, is Venus really, is she going to try to beat her sister and to, and, and to keep her out of, of winning, you know, everything that she's wanted to win? No, she's not going to do that. I think it's a joke. And I think it's, a, I think she should, I think she should have withdrawn or she should have fold, folded. Okay. Well, that's think? not very sporting. No, I think I they... Well, all right, here's my next question, okay? Okay. Yeah. If you were Azarenka, if you were Victoria Azarenka, I would... Would you lodge a protest? I mean, no. does it seem unfair? I mean, if you're Azarenka, she's not... Azarenka doesn't have to play her sister, right? She well, why should she lodge her... a protest? 
because if because if she reaches the finals against Serena and it's and she's had a harder draw, that doesn't seem fair. I mean, when the when the draw is so unequal because she's playing her sister. You know, these are professional athletes. So I, I think that, first of all, Serena is probably smart enough to know she needs a good test before she faces whoever she's going to face in the final. Some of those women players are playing really well this year. And Serena, Venus may be the best test she gets in this whole U.S. Open. So, you know, from a professional tennis standpoint, I would think that she would welcome like a serious match where she could work out some stuff and work out some nerves. So that's what I would think. Leanne, that's called practice. That's not called the quarterfinals (laughs) of the U.S. Open. Okay? Okay. I'm all for it. Yes. She should practice with Venus very, very hard. But I don't think, I think, I I just, I don't think it's fair at all. I don't think it's fair to the other competitors. Well, that's like saying no, no sisters can ever be in the draw together. And that's crazy. This just happens to be a singular moment in their history, but that means it's not fair. Serena has played many matches to get to this point, so you can't begrudge her that one against her sister. Right? Was it at Wimbledon they had to play each other, and they hadn't know, played each again, other in a while. Again, that, they, that was again that was a joke. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Here is my next. This is question number seven. We're sort of jumping around, but do you think are they going to split the winnings? So no, when- <laughs> no. Again, these are like grown women and professional athletes. They are sisters, Leanne. Yeah, I guess we have to split the winnings here at Satellite Sisters. Fortunately, there aren't much. We don't really fight over it because it's such a tiny amount. But (laughs) it's usually debt more than winnings. You um, want this dollar? I'll take this dollar. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And how isn't this a fixed match? They have some inside collusion because they're sisters, right? (laughs) They have the ability, right? I mean, I, they have a relationship. Yes, it's like Julie. no one, no one is acknowledging the elephant in the room, which is they are sisters. Okay. Well, I think they actually, many people weren't acknowledging it. Many people are acknowledging it, that this is kind of an awkward, awful draw. No one enjoys watching these matches. Last night during the Federer coverage, they had all these other star, you know, tennis players quoted about the matchup. Everyone says like, they don't even like to watch. It's painful. It's terrible, but no one says it's unfair and colluding. It's just the way the draw works out. If Venus had gotten whooped in the first round she wouldn't be there but they're both playing well and this is how it works sometimes <laughs> those two brothers played against each other in the super bowl a couple of years ago right oh well that that yeah <laughs> but that doesn't count and right, then the two brothers this. who were coaches they coached against each other you know right. so uh, yeah, yeah. That, maybe okay. that's what i'm thinking of again fact checkers <laughs> and i'm not really a football all right person, all right but... Leon, let me just bring this down to our level which yeah. is my last ninth question right. that if liz if you and liz were in the quarterfinals of of the u.s open yeah okay and let's just say you're you're Serena. You're Serena because you're the younger sister and Liz is is uh, is Venus. You don't think that Liz would that wouldn't like enter her mind. Do you think she would just play to beat you or don't you think she'd let you win? Don't you think she'd let you win? Uh, well, Liz would because I think she would think it would be good for the family brand. You know, 
like, again, she's splitting the winning. Yeah, she, she split the winning. Yeah, there we. Yeah, I mean, you know, but I think she would play me close. She's not going to fall down. She's not going to lay I down on the it's court. It's still fake. It's yeah. like it's like it's uh it's like a fixed box, boxing match or something. Okay, it's not real. All right, how about Monica versus Sheila? <laughs> That, well, that I would like to see, but you know, Sheila's a, Sheila's very competitive, so Sheila would never let anyone beat her. No, she wouldn't. Yeah, Even she's if, the most. If this was Monica's quest, <laughs> right? She would take. <laughs> she would. Yes. She would take Monica. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. Julie, you would let any one of us. Win. I would let anyone yes. because because okay, I, I you are my sister. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to, I'm going to fall down on the court. I'm going to go as I'm going to get up out of the chair and fall down. That's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go. I'm not even going to pretend, but I think there is an element of pretense associated with these two sisters. Like, Oh, well we just play against each other. I don't know what they're supposed to, what's the solution. It was a random draw and they both kept winning. I I mean, they should just withdraw because it's a like, you know, it's, it's well, that's it's, even worse at this point. Then it really looks like collusion because she's withdrawing, yeah. you know, then it's really not fair. Okay, so like, we'll oh, I'm going to get to this. We'll just pretend that she's, yeah, I'm going to take everyone else out of the competition and then I'm just going to withdraw. Like that's an automatic collusion. I, I, I think they just have to go for it. And I think they played each other a lot and they're competitive and yeah. Do I, do I, am I, can I imagine what their conversations are like behind the scenes if they're even talking? No, I can't. You know, this is a crazy once in a lifetime sort of thing. So I, I but they have a lifetime of playing against each other. So that's what I would say. And I've never believed any of those. <laughs> and that's what I have to say. Because I think sisterhood trumps uh, competition, okay? I just think that deep down, deep down, that's on Venus's mind, okay? I believe you. Yes. Yep, yep, yep. I believe you. So it's not the same as watching (laughs) Venus, you know, or or Serena play Azarenka. No, no, it's not. No, it's not not the same. same. I don't think anyone's arguing that. We should, well, you know, everyone's sort of pretending that this is just like every other match. They're competitors. It's all the same. It is not the same. Okay. okay. Are you going to watch or, or are you just going to protest? I don't know. I don't know. Seem to be all worked up. I don't know. I think we should, I think we should get. Now you've sucked the fun out of it for many of us. <laughs> so. Okay. Okay. Just, I'm just saying. All right. Well, Leanne, I wanted to move on to another topic, which... Which I which I thought was was very interesting, very intriguing. Uh, you work at home, but you have worked in an office. I've worked in offices. They have a new new studies have come out, and and Americans used to socialize a lot more with their uh, work colleagues than they do now. You know, in the in the like the good old nineteen eighties, at least fifty percent of people who worked in an office had a close friend at work, or you know maybe not in an office setting, but also in, you know, in factories or manufacturing uh, settings. You know, we went to company picnics, they had holiday parties, you know, you invited your colleagues over for dinner, sometimes you invited your boss over for dinner. Well, none of that goes on now, Liam. You know, that all of those, you know, company picnics and holiday parties, a lot of those have been cut out of budgets. And now, uh, as of 2004, well, which isn't now, but only 30% of Americans indicated that they have a close friend um, at work. Really? That surprises me. 
Because people yeah. work so many hours and, and you know, there, there's so much more collaborative work now than there used to be. That really surprises me. Well, they are working alone. They're working together alone, Leanne. Does that sound familiar? Because <laughs> we, we, they start working at companies, um, uh, you know, and in many cases with friends. You know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that start with their friends. Uh, but that we don't we don't really become friends with our coworkers, you know, and the reason why is because in many cases we change uh, we change work companies oh, a lot more frequently. So you're not true. with the same company for big, long stretches of time. You just don't invest the same way personally um, in your work in the workplace. You know, a lot of the work that you do is, you know, on computers, on cell phones. So, so you are working alone. And that this also is impacted, they think, perhaps by flex time, by telecommuting, um, and that People still stay in touch with their old friends or, you know, friends they've met earlier in their lives through Facebook. So there's there's a lot less motivation to develop good friends at work. Huh. Isn't I, that? That's but, interesting. But there's but here's the but here's the thing that when you do have a workplace friendship, um, you know, that is based on mutual admiration, on trust. That has a very positive um, um, impact on the worker's happiness. That, you know, if you do have a friend at work, you're actually happier. (laughs) But we're not doing that, you know, Uh, that, uh, you know, and many companies are trying to get people to uh, to develop interpersonal skills, you know, at work. And that's, you know, a lot of tech companies, you've seen that, Leanne, they have games and sports and exercise and they try to get people to eat together. And just as you said, they have teams and work, you know, work. But that um, but unless people are really willing to make the connection and to sort of have that mutual engagement and that mutual trust, it's just not going to happen, regardless of all these um, activities that companies are trying to uh, uh, promote uh, friendship. But it's kind of sad that we, we have less friends at work. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I have I just work here by myself. So I, <laughs> I officially have no friends at work except the FedEx guy and the yard guy. Um, but, you know, is it what's what's kind of interesting is that Liz has written a piece for our new book, You're the Best, A Celebration of Friendship, about the importance of friends in the workplace. Uh, it's a really, like, funny, charming piece, but she sort of outlines all the people that she's met in her career, you know, that started out as coworkers and have become friends and lasted as friends. I mean, she has friends from 30 years of work that she still regularly sees. You know, they no longer work for the same company or anything, but she, she sees them outside of work. She's sort of the poster child for, you know, finding friends at work and using them to help you balance your work-life balance. So that's the other thing. It just, if you have friends at work, it makes it more fun. Yes. You're, you're happier, Leanne. That's the researchers okay. are saying. You are happier if you have friends at work. So Liz is on the right track. Okay. Uh, but 70% of Americans are on the wrong track. <laughs> Get some friends at work. It's, I would think the millennials would, would you know, they, they're so into collaborative work. And I mean, my husband says he sees that at his office. You know, he works in that office of the future where they don't have cubicles and they don't have workspaces and everyone can sit where they want to sit and there are long collaborative tables and everyone eats at a long table at lunch. He said that what, what appeals about that workplace super appeals to the millennials because that's how they like to roll. 
That's how they work all the time, you know, together. So, you know, maybe that will change. If that survey was done a while ago, maybe we'll see a rebound of friendships at work because it is a good thing to have a friend at work. I, yes. I loved I loved going to work I when I worked in a real office, you know, b- before you guys. <laughs> When I had actual friends, not just sisters. Now you just have sisters <laughs> that you would beat at the U.S. Open in, if you in, had a chance. In a yes. New York minute. In a New York minute. <laughs> New York minute. All right. Well, Leanne, I have one other work story, and this is good news for the state of Texas. Finally, I don't know. I don't know how it is in California or other states, but uh, this is better late than never. Uh, there's a new law that went into effect this week in Texas that requires public employers, okay, so that's state and local governments, school districts, to provide break time and private quarters for nursing moms. All right. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. New moms, you know, have the all-important job of breastfeeding. And when uh, women go back to work and they want to continue to breastfeed, there should be t- they should have be allowed to have the breaks during the day and the space to go, you know, pump the milk so that they can continue to breastfeed their infant. Okay, and this has not been the law here in Texas. Uh, now that's the good news. The not so good news is what they call private quarters for nursing moms. Okay, that. That a single stall in a bathroom qualifies as huh. an appropriate space, and you know that's not an appropriate space. No, it's a that stall is in a bathroom. No, that is the that is a disgusting space for for a new mom <laughs> to have to sit and try to pump milk for her child. Okay, we can do better than that. Okay, we can do better than that. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I think employers can create a space, you know, and, and create the time, the breaks for employees to do this. It's an important thing for our country, Liam. Yes, it is, Julie. Employers just go to Nordstrom. They have, I've always had for decades, beautiful nursing lounges for mothers. And that. That you, if you can create a space like the ladies' room in Nordstrom, that nursing lounge, women across America will love working at your company because yes, and they'll have friends. They'll meet friends in the pumping room. <laughs> yes, they will. Pumping is is so demoralizing anyway. It's you just to do it in a bathroom. That that is not encouraging women to stick with breastfeeding for six months, as is recommended by pediatricians. Right, six to twelve months. So yeah, let's hope it can get now, better. Yeah. Twelve months. They do twelve months. Yes. That's good. Yes, that's mm-hmm. good. All right, Julie, keep us keep us honest about the breastfeeding. I, I will. Cool. I will. All right. I have a couple of interesting stories about national parks, but you were going to have to give me 10 seconds because I left my paper with the statistics like a stone's throw away. Just uh, talk amongst yourselves. So this would be the part in the show where maybe I could sing or I could hum. Okay, I'm back. (laughs) I was very close, just not within reach. All right. So, you know, my husband's family has dragged me. I mean, we've been to many national national parks and I do love the national park system. They're having a big birthday this year and all kinds of things, some celebration. I think it's the hundredth. Oh, okay. Once again, I'm, I, I read somewhere. I think it's the hundredth anniversary of the public national Could park system. Land. Okay. Uh, but this was an interesting study about why people go to national parks. Okay. They surveyed a whole bunch of park goers about what was the number one reason they went. Julie, what do you think it is? Just take a guess. Trees. I, well, that's what I, that would be my first guess. <laughs> no. Just some that's real a, nice that's a good, it's a good guess. No, I think okay. that's an excellent guess. 
Actually, scenery. Maybe, maybe I can broaden it, the topic to scenery. It's pretty well, scenery. Here, no, here it is. The number one reason uh, people go is so that they can gaze upon an unpolluted night sky. They go to the national parks so they can look up and they can see the night sky glittering with a full cast of stars without having the uh, light pollution that's associated with many cities and towns now. Isn't that interesting? Really? Yes. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, yeah, I wouldn't think that. I mean, I, I that's that surprises me. But of course, that is an amazing thing when you go to a, a national park and you camp, or you're the, you know there at night and you can you know you can look up and you can see things that you don't see. Right. Uh, at home. Yeah. They yeah. Sa- they said that ninety nine percent of the planet's skies are light polluted, and more th- and that has increased dramatically in the last fifteen years. So two thirds of Americans. Two-thirds of Americans can no longer see the Milky Way from their backyards. So raise your hand. I'm one of them. You, you probably mm-hmm. can't see the Milky Way either. So yeah. they go to the parks to literally lie on their backs and look at the Milky Way at night. And they surveyed hundreds of groups of people. And they said this helps people feel connected and understand, you know, astronomy and the universe and how it works better. And so that is the number one reason people go to national parks. I think that's cool. I, I'm I'm still sort of shocked by that answer <laughs> that it's not like trees, trees or maybe a bear. They want to see a bear. Nope. Or, they want to see the or, night sky. And I think that's really neat. It's, it gives us a perspective on who we are. And I believe we talked about that in my interview with Erica Jean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised she, well, she did talk about life on other planets. So, uh, <laughs> although. She doesn't really look like someone who goes to a lot of national parks. But anyway, I, I know it's something that is striking to me. When I leave Los Angeles and we go to Yosemite or we go to other national or state parks, when you have a chance to look up and see the night sky, it really strikes you as something very special. So there you go. Number one reason. And I mentioned that this year because, Julie, the national parks are running a fantastic program. And I don't know if everyone has heard of it, but if you have a fourth grader Listen mm-hmm. up. The National Park System is giving away a free pass to the national parks uh, if you have a fourth grader in your family. And oh. they've made it pretty easy to do. I will put the link at Satellite Sisters. Uh, I will also put it on the Facebook page. It's called um, Every Kid in a Park. And so it's a new initiative to get all fourth graders and their family to experience the places that are home to our country's national treasures, rich history, and vibrant culture free of charge. And it's, I'm on the website now, so you can go to the national park and national forest. There's a whole bunch of, you know, and national parks are everywhere. You'd be surprised. Mm -hmm. Like it's not just Yosemite. That's national parks, right? There are things like, you know, stuff in Washington. Parks here in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. So every state has them. Right. So yeah. Okay. There are national parks, national forests, national wildlife refugees and refuges and more. So, uh, I will put the link at satellitesisters.com, but it, they've made it so easy and visual that the kids are supposed to fill out the information for their own passes, but there's information for parents there. So if you have a fourth grader this year, uh, this starts, it started in September. You can go get your pass for absolute free. And I think that's a great idea. That's excellent. I do too. I yeah. like that. And I think that you lure the family in by through the fourth grader. Yes. Right? That's yeah. the fourth grader fills out the form and then it starts bugging mom and dad. We got to go to this park. It's close by. We can do this. 
and we can see the stars at night, apparently. Yes, see okay. the stars at night. You know, in, in California in fourth grade, it's always we learn kids learn California um, history. That's a mm -hmm. mandatory state requirement. So what happens is every fourth grader and their families go to the missions in California because yes. you have to do a big mission report uh, that is sacrosanct here in California. And it does. I'd never been to a mission before my kids hit fourth grade. And it does get you out to go to those missions. And it's really fascinating way to learn history. And so here you go. Same thing with the national parks and the national forests. So you can do it. Doors open. Get those kids into the national parks. Um. Oh, we want to talk about creativity, Julie. Yes. One last, yes. one last story. I know we're jumping around today, but again, <laughs> I'm... your brain has been stimulated by your conversation with Erica John. I, I am not in denial, Julie, because that's what she said a million times. Denial is no good. <laughs> I know that's kind of our family motto, denial, yes. but suppress and deny. That's that's the key to success, land. Not according to Erica Jean. <laughs> All right. Yesterday in the New York Times, uh, a friend of Satellite Sisters, Laura Holson, had a great piece in the Times about creativity. It was entitled, We're All Artists Now. And it was about the notion that at some point in our lives, we need to open ourselves up to creativity. And this seems to be a movement lately. I know we've talked about the adult coloring books on Satellite Sisters, and people have posted their own versions on Facebook, but it kind of extends beyond that. It's this idea that, you know, letting creativity into our lives is healthy. It makes us live longer. It improves our, um, you know, work work, uh, work, um, output. It improves our personal relationships and that it is worth giving it a shot. And I I'll post the article on satellitesisters.com. Um, because I think it's interesting. Laura talks about how she took kind of a work sabbatical. She's been a writer for the New York times for a long time. And last year she decided to figure out video editing and cinematography and kind of add that to her resume and how opening that was for her to sort of get out of the writing and reporting world and go do something completely different. And now she started a creativity club and she stayed in touch with the people she was in the class with. And Julie, this is interesting to me because I get when I go do book talks now for mm -hmm. five years, um, every single time I, someone raises their hand, usually a woman, mom, busy mom, working mom, trying to figure out how they can let creativity into their life. And so it's something that I've thought and wrote about for a while now because I think people don't classify a lot of the things they do as creative. But I think what's happened with social media is now we're we're redefining creativity. I think people used to think it was writing or painting a painting that went in the gallery or, you know, creating a sculpture or, you know, singing a song, but it is cooking. It is gardening. It is, you know, taking photos of your dog and posting them on Instagram. <laughs> Thank you very much. I love, I love hashtag dogs of Instagram. I love it. I, I love, I love the dog photos. I love the pie photos. I love the garden photos. <laughs> I love your crafting photos. But I think it's a really good idea that it used to be this, oh, you don't have to be a tortured soul, that adding creativity into your life really brings a lot of joy and hope, and it kind of opens your mind up for new experiences. I think, don't you think people are afraid to try it yes. or afraid to admit it or to, or you know, that that stops a lot of people because... They don't, you know, they don't see themselves as writers or painters or, you know, or they don't think they're good enough to do that. Right. And if you don't, I mean, there's good enough where you could quit your day job and make a career. That That's probably a much tougher task than just, 
hey, you know what? I've always wanted to try watercolors. I'm going to take a class. And whenever people ask me, you know, how did you do this? How did you make the transition to fiction writing? I always say take a class. Like, just take a class. Take a class in memoir. People always say, I want to write down my life story. Or actually, they say to me, you should write my life story. <laughs> and, then, and then I say to them, you should take a memoir class at a local community college. But it's true. Like, I think you're right. People are, like, scared to try creativity. There's a lot of judgment with creative things. But I think, like, social media has sort of opened that up. Yes, we do want to see pictures of your flower arrangements. We do want to uh-huh. see pictures of your Christmas decorations. You know, we do want to see your pies. They're excellent. So I, I love the idea that people are trying this and opening themselves up and making it a priority and not being self-conscious about it. I'm all for it. So I would love to hear on the Facebook page, like wh- how people have started to let creativity into their life. Because I'm, I know that a lot of the Satellite Sisterhood is doing cool things and we see a lot of it, but this mm-hmm. is, I think it's more than just like painting a picture. It's, it's oh, not I a sterile too. definition. Right. And, but you're saying creativity does make you happier. It does make you happier. Yeah. 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 It, uh, and you know, what are the, alternatives really (laughs) reality tv i mean what else like you know what i mean go get a hobby make yourself happier you know to open yourself up take a risk meet some new people you know take an online class take a take an in i always say an in-person class but take an online class if you're pressed for time i just think it makes people in general much happier do you think you do any? What is your creative activity? Well, you do this. You're very creative doing this. Hasn't this I, I kind would, of? I would say this sort of constitutes a, yeah. a big chunk of my creative energy. But I, you know, I do. I, I enjoy cooking, Leanne, so yeah. that I, I I pour a lot of creativity into trying new recipes, doing new things that way. So. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah. But this was a very different direction for you when we started Satellite Sisters. This was not like writing and performing and, you know, cooking up stuff was not uh, cooking up creative ideas. That was not really part of your day job. No, No, it wasn't, Liam. And and hasn't it added to your life? Yes, it has made me happier, Liam. (laughs) If you would just agree with me that that is not a tennis match this afternoon. (laughs) Okay. Whew, I am exhausted, honestly. (laughs) I think you should go take a cold shower and get a nap. Or drink. I don't know what. I need to... (laughs) I had to do some creative editing. I can tell you that. <laughs> All right. What do you have on tap for this week, Jill? Anything? It's um, it's a big week, Leanne. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. It's a big week here every week. I know you asked me this question at the end of every Tuesday show, and I have yet to have a good answer for you. <laughs> well, okay. Put, take a class, Julie. Sign up for a class at a community college. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, cannot, I cannot stress that enough. Just let it in. Let creativity into your life. I will. That's what I'm going to try to do. <laughs> well, I, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. Thanks for asking. I'll be, uh, <laughs> I'll be editing that Erica Zhang interview. And then it is supposed to be so stinking hot here that, mm, yes. um, yeah, that's, it's just sort of, uh, it's just, we're, we're buckling down for a tremendous heat wave. Oh, you I'm know, sorry. last week I put, um, I put my fall door decoration on and everything outside is so brown. 
<laughs> it matches the door decoration. Aww. It's just going to get worse. Oh boy. Anyway, yeah, if you haven't if you haven't lived in like really severe heat, it is as severe as the cold. It There's, is. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah. I've lived in both kinds of climates and you know, it just these are, you know, you really do have to sort of brace yourself for tremendous heat in the same way that you brace yourself when it's, you know, you have those sub-zero um, temperatures. So Okay. That's, that's what I'll be doing. There'll be ice baths and ver- and iced tea, a lot of ice-related items this week okay. here in okay. Pasadena, California. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this show made sense. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can always find us at SatelliteSisters.com. So if you're looking for articles or information, uh, we do do a complete show notes blog post. So usually if there's a link or if we mention something, it's there. Um, you can also find us at Sat Sisters on Twitter and on Instagram. And of course, new people every day joining our Facebook group. I just, uh, just approved two or three people this morning, Julie, to join us over at the Satellite Sisters Facebook group. We do have a lot of activities planned for fall. You know, we have that book coming out at the end of October. There will be a new Instagram contest we're announcing next week, so uh, next Sunday, so stay tuned for that. We're just finalizing some of the details, but we loved uh, all of your Sat-Sys summer fun things, so we're rolling into fall, and we will be doing something there. And Julie, of course, we got to watch the match tonight. We'll all be yes, watching the match. I can't guarantee that you will, but um, <laughs> there you go. All right. We're your satellite sisters. Don't forget, call your satellite sister. This podcast is brought to you by You're the Best, a celebration of friendship, a collection of essays by the Satellite Sisters. Available October 2015 at SatelliteSisters.com or wherever books are sold.